0: Hey, it's Nico, and that makes this X's for Podcast, your premier comic podcast for modern Marvels, Chronoskimming and classics, and more. You can check the show out at X's and X's for Podcast on social media. As for me, you can find me at Nico Action on social media. That's N I C O A C T I O N. We have an incredible group of people covering an awesome bunch of titles today. We're going to kick things off with a look at Sabretooth and the Exiles number one alongside Wolverine numbers 26 and 27 before getting to the much backlogged. Legion of X number six, And then a combined look at Legion of X number 7 and Marauders number 8. It's going to be a great one. So let's kick things off right away with the Weapon X music club, as it were. Wolverine and Sabretooth, two guys whose, you know, worlds were completely linked for most of their creative histories. And now we see them both on very different trajectories, though there's still a number of parallels to be made, as well as the parallels that exist throughout the worlds of Marauders and Legion of X, two books that sort of exist on the fringe of the X universe, but are still doing things very central to the core of what the X mythos has become. And we love making this show for you every week. Now, the show is about to undergo some really cool changes, and we're really excited to bring you guys everything that's coming in the future. So keep an eye out on this space, as well as X's for Podcast on social media and the Hubs Plus network over on YouTube, where you'll be able to find more incredible content like this. But, you know, the show's not going anywhere. You can definitely find it right here at X's for podcast in the feed as well as on all appropriate social media we're going to be setting up things like hive real soon so keep an eye out during this crazy change in twitter time but until then enjoy these segments keep those mutant lights lit those coen gateways open as always i'm nico i love making this show we are so proud to bring it to you i know everybody who makes it it is a labor of love and it has been an incredible 400 plus episodes and we can't wait for the next 400 and enjoy
1: I'm TK, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xNateXGrayX. And I'm Arturo, and ya tu sabe, you can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter for the time being anyways.
2: <laughs> hey, this is Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah. That's P-E-A-K.
0: And I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N and we hope you guys survive the experience except Beast, because fuck
3: Beast. <laughs> Resoundingly, I think we can all agree, fuck Beast.
1: We used to talk about Beast as, you know, becoming Dark Beast, and I think he's like officially worse than Dark Beast. Yeah. <laughs> or or at least on the level with, like, there is there is no difference, you know? At
3: least once we got past the initial, like, espionage with Dark Beast, we knew that we were dealing with a villain at all times. Hank really kind of snuck that in there with us. And I think it is really fun to be talking today about Sabretooth and the Exiles number one and Wolverine issues 26 and 27, because usually when we talk about these two characters, we spend a lot of time talking about them together and their relationship with each other. But part of the fun of the Krakoan era is that they have been basically entirely separate the entire time. And I think it has allowed both of them to kind of grow outside of the kind of stereotypical way we think about them. I have a lot of questions about the actual issues themselves. But first off, how are you guys feeling about the fact that for years now, we have not had any of the standard back and forth between Wolverine and Sabretooth?
0: Thank goodness. You know, the problem, I think, is we wind up with these super- super outmoded forms for characters like I'm not anti the established no I am but like I'm not anti the established hero canon of anyone in particular but I think if the X-Men had never been able to grow past versus Magneto just how much poorer we'd be and I think about what if we had never been able to outgrow apocalypse was originally the owl stand and I think about how much we've gained from that and when you put someone in a position where you're like no you can never outgrow that the immediate thing you say is these stories are good enough. And they can be good, but no story is ever good enough that it never ever ever needs to evolve and advance. And I think seeing Sabretooth sort of be his very own douchebag, not Wolverine's douchebag, not Weapon X's douchebag, that this is just kind of like a separate Sabretooth sucks event is kind of nice.
1: I'm just I'm so grateful for for Victor Laval's writing. Like I am so obsessed. I'm so glad that, that he's got another run, that he's continuing this tale. And, you know, with such a fun assortment of characters, I love that, you know, will we get to Sabretooth the antihero? Probably. But we're not getting there, you know, in a in a straightforward way, right? Like the first arc really didn't tee him up like that. But now this band of misfits getting together to fight Orcus. I mean, how can you not love this?
2: So Wolverine and Sabretooth have a complex relationship where... I will be honest I don't particularly find their dynamic the most interesting most of the times and that's mostly because I think Wolverine has better dynamics and better rivalry with other characters that is to say I do think there is maybe potential for their relationship to come back but ultimately I kind of prefer Victor when he's a little more akin to his very first appearance way back in Iron Fist where he was a lot more cunning a little more I won't say brutal but he felt a lot smarter and when they changed a lot about his character to make him a mutant that has this rivalry with wolverine it kind of just feels like i i hearken back to seeing them in the hellfire club at the urinal and wolverine saying take a picture it'll last longer and like sure a dick measuring contest is fun and fine between them but i don't i personally don't find it the most interesting and when they're separate i think they're a little more palatable than when they're together
1: and you bring up a really good point in the absence of Sabretooth, it's really allowed you know creative teams to tee up different relationships different rivalries you know that's how we got Solem. Yeah, you know, we've seen Omega Red is getting some shine. He's getting a little more dimension and and story to him. So a little meat on the bones. So I mean, I think it's been good having them separated. It's allowed Wolverine to do other things. And Sabretooth was like the piece that was on the board, but off the board, right? Like we put him in the hole, and then he was just this kind of Chekhov's gun, just kind of like waiting to go off. And and I think it's Laval's done just an incredible job with, with that opportunity.
2: And
0: I think part of of it has to do with the fact that and then we've discussed this time and time again on the show and it's something that especially in our discussions with B-Way the discussion of the fact that there needs to be a dimension of forgiveness in our discussion of Krakoan justice there needs to be we want to see these characters do better and be free of the things that compelled them to a life less I don't know honorable but the thing is you no. Know, really sabertooth just wants to kill and sabertooth just wants to maim and he's kind of super into sexually attacking people and sabertooth isn't someone who can be redeemed exactly and like that's why i'm just so i don't want to see anyone do it ever again i i am just i don't care if it's an axis flip or if it's from another dimension or if he just had a really special pancake that morning and he's in forever a good mood now i'm so done with good guy sabertooth that for me I think having Wolverine who's always like I got to be a good guy, who's now in a position where like Wolverine is more or less the yeah, we let Wolverine kill people kind of guy if you have him in direct contrast to Sabretooth who is not allowed to kill and is punished for it. The parallel of double standard becomes too unbearable for the book to to stand. And I think that's part of the magic of having sequestered Sabretooth away for so long. I would love to know Wolverine's current human body count in the Krakoan era that Sabretooth got locked away day one before he even knew the rules.
2: I thought Sabretooth got locked away because he stole some stuff and the Fantastic Four were mad about it. And they were like, thank you, Victor, for stealing this, but also we're throwing you with a pit. Yeah, it did kind of go down
3: like that. And that's even what I
0: mean. Like, Wolverine is racking up a body count while Victor was told after the fact he broke a law. I mean, I am not here to refer to Sabretooth as, like, the X-Men's very own Krakoan Jean Valjean. But essentially... <laughs> guy took some bread, you know what I mean? And like they locked him up forever and Eponine dreamed a dream or whatever. But (laughs) the deepest part of this for me is Wolverine doesn't need Sabretooth anymore now that he's got Beast. It's not even like with friends like these who needs enemies. It's sort of like with sadistic parasitic viruses infecting the very cells of your structural organism how can you possibly
3: survive? And I really do want to return to Beast but Before we get there, I want to take a sort of broader view, maybe even broader than we have with like talking about Wolverine and Sabretooth and their sequester, and talk about something that Nico, you and I have been talking about a little more recently, which is that we are pretty solidly starting to move out of the honeymoon phase when it comes to the Krakowan era. That's not to say that anything is bad now, it's just we were really, for a while, we were in that like every day is the best sex of your life. Insane how good this is. And we've kind of had to decide. I mean, Marvel has decided that this is going to continue for a little bit longer. So rather than just being one phenomenal affair, this is having to settle down and be a long term relationship. And with that, definitely comes a little bit less of the glitz and glamour of the everything is fire moments. And we're really starting to do a long game here. And for me, I felt like. The announcement that Victor Laval was going to be writing the story of what happened with Sabretooth was kind of one of the last things that I associate with that really sexy era. And the fact that he managed to do such an amazing five issues and really both tie up a story, but then leave all the seeds to announce that we're getting another one. Meanwhile, you've got Percy, who really has been playing the long game the whole time. So he's pretty sexy settled into this long-term relationship that we're all in with the Krakoan era. And I just wanted to hear some of your guys' thoughts about how you're feeling about this long-term relationship and the fact that we're kind of out of the the sexiest time in this whole thing.
0: It's almost a good thing. Like, I hate to say it in a callous way, but sometimes we reach a point where we can't grow anymore. And there's this sort of weird romance that we all have for times that never were. And like, I do get like unrealized, ephemeral zeitgeist nostalgia, right? I get it all the time, especially for like shell albums that's like a thing where like you were so about this release you were so focused on it and you were you know so connected with it and then it never came out and I feel like that's a lot of the truth of the John Hickman era of X-Men I feel like House and Powers were John Hickman with his foot on the gas and then it became a line and what does a line mean? It means you really need to share the burden of of control and if the burden of control hadn't been shared, if things like Kitty dying and Emma And Storm Growing hadn't happened in the pages of Marauders. If, I mean, I'm going to say it, if Fallen Angels hadn't been a weird torture porn book, we couldn't (laughs) have had Hellions. And if we couldn't have had Hellions, then we wouldn't have had Nanny and Orphan Maker running around in Sabretooth and the Exiles. So, you know, every step along the way has framed a narrative, but we have reached a point where, I don't know if it's out of nostalgia for that six weeks or 12 weeks that was John Hickman's magical, because there's been incredible afterward please don't think that's not that's not what i'm saying i never want Kurkoa to go anywhere ever absolutely like, deal well, that's breaker the whole point. If it this It is a long-term anywhere.
3: relationship we're trying to we want to keep this going but it can't always be so hot and steamy
0: and we need to stop trying to keep the storylines from day one going that's part of the problem and that's why saber has to be out of the pit and that's why beast kind of really needs to you know beast is at a point where I, I, I don't mean this legitimately but i think we can all agree that beast isn't even the most evil any x-man has ever been yet <laughs> like he's getting there but i really don't think this is the worst we've ever seen anybody in an ex letterman's jacket <clears throat> some shenanigans so i don't know i feel like if beast was really suddenly like guys i just need you to understand i found god i'm a member of up with people now uh-huh. and uh i want to do hands across america uh-huh. if that happened i could i could i couldn't but i could see the x-men wanting me to believe it and And he's just got to decide, like, I mean, seriously, be really evil or don't. But this is, you're staying in this stasis, bro. And
3: it's just not working anymore.
2: First thing I wanted to talk about was I find it very hysterical that I don't currently think anybody's in the pit. I think everybody who was thrown in is currently out.
3: Oh yeah, there's as far as we know, there's nobody there right now,
2: which is hysterical to me. That like they made this big deal about this pit, this this you know uh, engulfing darkness, and just nobody's in there right now. They threw a bunch of people down there, and nobody bothers to check. They just assume they're still there, and I find mm-hmm. it very hysterical. But I I have to agree with you, Nico. It still feels like Beast is kind of like doing half measures. I think ultimately we're going to end up with one of two situations where Beast is going to get thrown into the pit, or they're going to kill Be- Beast and do what they did to. Sandra Nova, and they're gonna remove his evil gene or whatever part of his brain is causing him to do this, and like up the compassion so high that he just becomes smiley, and maybe he'll become like a big old like he'll look like Big the Cat, like that. That's what's gonna happen to him. He'll transform. What
1: if Um, what if they like reboot him to like an older version of Beast? Like they just say, you know what? Like we have to break the rules here. Beast is out of control.
0: I would love to see them pull like a weird Earth X Hulk thing, and I would love like a ten year old beast who gets you know gets the tightest dream he gets to start over he gets to be a baby and he's like carried around by a giant beast I think that would be adorable give him a chance to like grow into a good person guided by people who know what make him garbage and he'll find a happy future where he can be the weird cat boy he was always meant to be the weird oversized cat boy he was always meant to be
3: the only pushback I have on that I love it all in theory but in practice i then know what's going to come after which is basically exactly what happened to magneto he's eventually you know 10 years from now gonna get all the memories back and then he's really gonna turn into beast from uh here comes tomorrow
1: if only
0: i mean we got sublime running around the pages of new mutants where you know we also have a member of the wolverine family i love that there's just logan's everywhere and uh, everywhere speaking of logan's everywhere the art on these wolverine issues yes yes i mean the art by leonard kirk leonard kirk has drawn everybody sort of the same beautiful leonard kirk way for like 15 years in a good way that's not like oh leonard kirk does one thing no no he draws the leonard kirk man so beautifully and that's his brian braddock that's his Reed Richards. When Leonard Kirk draws a man, he really gives that man a sense of depth and there's a well of honesty in him and I really feel like we get that from Leonard Kirk right away on Sabretooth and the Exiles. But fuck me sideways. I was really taken by the art in Wolverine. It had some of that photorealistic kind of Tracy kind of, and I don't mean like all men, I mean like photo trace, but like <laughs> it had that quality but while still having like life and color and Akahiro looked so so good in his one page. I was very pleased.
3: So on the one hand, I agree with you, but on the other, there were a few panels, especially at the beginning and especially involving women that I was just, there's like a mouth and a teeth thing happening in a couple of these Wolverine panels. And it's in the uh, issue number 26, more than 27, but there is weird stuff happening with the smiles that just so completely took me out of the book. And I remember that was why I was asking about credits at the beginning of the show, because 27 is... Is just to me almost perfect all the way through. But the start of 26 was so rough that I like actually noticed it and thought maybe somebody else must have done the art.
0: You know, and that's like the mixed bag of Wolverine. I think so many people have drawn Wolverine. There's like when you draw Wolverine, there's sort of like 30 different Wolverines you can get. He might look kind of like Clint Eastwood in a samurai movie. He might look a little bit like Ben Affleck beaten in the face with a baseball bat. He might look a little bit like any number of the iterations of Wolverine that we've had over the years. But there's really only one iteration of Sabertooth. And it's just sort of like not leave Schreiber, (laughs) which I think is a mistake. You know, and it's not that Trevor the man with the mane, I forget the name of the actor who also portrayed Sabretooth, but the value of having a Wolverine book and a Sabretooth at the same time where you can really think about the fact there's like 80 different ways to draw Wolverine, but there is really just like the one outfit for Sabretooth. Like he does not have six more Bob Mackies ready to go with a quick change. Oh, this is very specific lane that he winds up in.
1: I love that even when he got the makeover from Jim Lee, I I mean, that's a stretch, but... It was like pretty much the same thing. And that's pretty much stuck is like the Jim Lee look, but it's classic. I love it. No notes. We don't need to work on perfection. I do love, I got to say about the art Juan Jose Rip. I really enjoyed it. There's kind of like a Frank Quitely vibe to some of it. I don't know if anybody else got those vibes, especially like in the peaceful scenes, like where there's just conversation or uh, having a beer in the backyard. I really, really enjoyed the art. The one
3: thing I really love, about his beast is it feels very much inspired by Kelsey Grammer Beast to me and yes. I, I mean that in a very good way because I think he has managed to create a beast that is like only in comic books beastly like it doesn't look like special effects or anything but there's a humanity and the humanity that he has chosen is like the guy who really sucks who played Beast so there's something about it that and that's what I'm talking about where like by the end I was like this is a stroke, and early in 26 I was like that lady's mouth is creeping me out
0: but like one of the things that also is hard for me not to notice that makes these two books like sing together and also kind of at odds with one another when I think about the art is everyone in Wolverine is like a dude and I don't mean like male I mean it's like a person it's like oh yeah that person everybody but like first of all not only are most of the people in Sabretooth kind of up wait a who the fuck <laughs> but beyond that madison jeffries there's a specific look <laughs> he's a third book. eye what a look uh necra just sort of looks like a glass of milk you know sure. it's one of those things where the the visual is so interesting because Sabretooth, by the fact that you don't automatically see those characters and visually identify them and visually interact with them like you know when you see wolverine or Sabretooth, you have a thought you have a reaction there is a confrontation of idea but like i don't think so many people are like yes oya i immediately recognize her out of all comic book characters ever and that's not a detriment of the character that's not to the diminishing quality of the character it has to do more with the people in Wolverine are a little bit more long term tested and the characters in Sabretooth are bolder choices and that really changes both
1: the visual palette and the story narrative but I love that this is why I mean aside from Nanny and Orphan Maker being right there that this really does feel like you know the like Hellions you know second class Um, so I dig that i love that it's like a trash bag full of all these random polls. we might be in store for some actually compelling toad content which is something i never thought i'd say oh
0: you mean Paige's boyfriend
3: (laughs) don't you dare no
1: we're not i don't care if you're editing
3: this you cut that
1: (laughs) god bless ma guthrie honey (laughs) the the shit she put up with with those kids
3: and speaking of the teams and the weird polls all around i was trying to think about, like, what do these books have in common, and then what is just completely opposite? And in the opposites category, I feel like Sabretooth and the Exiles, the Exiles are a team that is coming together. And it actually was kind of cool to me that they went right for a team beginning to cohere moment in issue one when you know this is going to be a book about a lot of chaotic stuff, and they're never meant to be like a real team. Sabretooth is somehow going to be kind of a leader for them. So it's always going to be a mess, but that you see them being a team early on, and then Sabretooth shows up at the end, and it's just like, okay, these guys are all together now. Meanwhile, you've got X-Force, which is a team that is absolutely falling apart. You know, Sabretooth might be having his anti-hero moment very quickly, and meanwhile, Beast is becoming like horrifying to a new level now, and well, you're right, it is kind of not as evil as any X-Man has been. I think we really did cross a Rubicon with these most recent issues of Wolverine and absolutely yeah I mean I just like on the one hand we've got people coming together on the other hand we got people falling apart and I think that speaks to me to that idea of the fact that this has to be a more long term thing like we gave Percy a long run and these issues of Wolverine feel like a lot of the X-Force stuff is really starting to pay off Paige's alcoholism the stuff with Beast the fact that Wolverine is really like
0: wait I think you mean Sage is alcoholism what who did i say
1: Paige. Paige, which was very cute now goes, i can't cut it you're Please. welcome this is your
2: fault looking at these two books what i find fascinating is that from these two wolverine issues to this one issue involving Sabretooth, i find my suspension of disbelief radically different between the two i look at this title of the Sabretooth title and i go okay everything that's happening i believe i believe that this is the orcas agent that we saw way back in children of the atom number four i believe Sabretooth be captured i believe all of them would be like hey let's go save Sabretooth, i guess i believe everything here is happening and i fully am immersed in this story i do not know if I can fully believe everything that's going on in Wolverine. You're telling me for weeks nobody's checking in on Logan? None of his kids? Gene? Scott? Nobody th- is thinking to ask hey, where is Wolverine outside of Domino? Weeks after? It yeah. feels a little too much like you're asking me to believe that this character who is so ingrained in so many people's lives for better or worse nobody is asking to check on him?
0: We did a whole issue of New Mutants that was we immediately recognized. Gabby isn't around because like (laughs) that's like a thing for me perhaps like I really just want the X-Men to openly acknowledge that they've been breaking one of their own rules for a really long time and there have been six Wolverines since the day Krakoa started. and the reason that would make me genuinely happy is if the argument is his mind's so fractured anyway and he has so many false memories anyway what's the difference if there's six of him building concurrent memories he's only gonna remember two thirds of it anyway so I think if they did that we'd all be to kind of like hand wave away some of the frustration because yeah there's no way you can convince me that Akihiro doesn't smell Wolverine's missing that you can convince me that Laura Gabby don't both know that Logan isn't on the island that Gene isn't like I've only had the gentle dickings I need the hairy dickings
2: I was gonna say he missed their date night she's not pissed and scanning for him
0: yeah and like there's something to it that says to me that the concurrentness right because that's like part of what I'm talking about when I say we long for that era of X-Men that kind of never really existed. The dawn of the Krokoan era, that John Hickman couple of weeks where so many books overlapped. I think the actual number of like synergistic, oh wow, that cool moment of the timing. I think the actual number of it is in the course of two years like ten moments. And that's like not bad, but that's also not like of legend. And I think that also means then that there's a difficulty having so many truly fine products be able to be so exquisitely fine concurrently like judgment day made my teeth hurt like trying to what do you mean it's still the same fucking day and the the celestial's still fucking there no no it's been 37 books I know that because I have spent 416 dollars no and I think this is an example of where it just kind of bonks
3: and you think this is it's just kind of like a little bit messy or do you see any possibility that like the glare the obvious fact of what you're saying could be one of the things that comes up plot-wise as what ends up being Beast's downfall is that he didn't plan for any of this type of stuff.
0: Well, Yeah, I think part of it is that Beast is a science planner and like anyone who has ever met a really intelligent person who does very stupid things or someone that they underestimate as less intelligent who really pulls it out you immediately are then forced to recognize that your determination of a person's ability is not the sole criteria upon which they execute. And Beast, though, believes himself incapable of making a mistake like that. He's like a Moriarity. Mm-hmm. He's like, a, to harken back to something we were talking about earlier, he's like a Lilith Sturges, if you will, in that <laughs> he doesn't believe he can make a mistake. And the fact that his belief in the kind, because like this is like a, a true thing, people can shock you with how stupid they are, not by the of their stupid, but by the stupid you didn't see coming. And Beast expects people to behave a certain way that is to him stupid, that is to him beneath him. And he is so sure that he understands, like, and it does get kind of Sweeney, you know, like the, you know, creatures in the lower zoo kind of thing. He truly believes that he's looking down on people and knows what kind of mistakes they're going to make because he's so perfect. But the thing he forgets is he operates with an animalistic, hyper sort of analytic, direct mindedness, something that McCoy has never been is pleasantly creative. And I think that's exemplified in the ways that, as a science person, he absorbs the arts at a voracious capacity. He's a lover of opera and museums, and I'm sure he listens to a lot of murder podcasts. <laughs> and he's confronted with the fact that he cannot simply put people's behaviors in a box and organize them in his files. And I think that is one of the reasons that he is such a compelling super villain. He's going to, at some point, figure out how to make people make the mistakes that he wanted so that his plans will work. I really believe Beast will have mind control so that even though it's still him manipulating people, because he needs to manipulate people to feel good about himself in the morning. It's whatever gets you off before you're coughing. And he's going to keep manipulating people, but so that they play out his weird machinations. It's all really
1: icky. Yeah, I mean, if we don't end up with Beast in the hole, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, that feels absolutely inevitable you know uh, I mean we're, you know we, we don't have to get into a whole thing about croco and Justice right now but what's up with croco and Justice like there's no way Beast can get away with all of this
3: I mean I want to push back on it a little only because I think maybe what I need to see for Beast is something that is I don't want to say worse than the hole but the first thing that we got shown was that uh, the hole conceptually is really terrible but is act- the, the, the pit is nothing Saber tooth mastered it easily and most people don't even wind up going and if they're there they're not there long they get out it seemed like the whole point is that like they don't really have a good plan for how to do any kind of justice when it comes to your standard criminal beast is at a level that i don't know i don't even know how to describe it especially because you know he gets compared to people like henry kissinger to so many peddlers of influence and intelligence that i think we all want to see brought to justice justice, but we also have to admit that by the laws of our nation, they actually haven't they haven't done anything illegal. They've done everything exactly as they've been pointed to. It's just that we all as citizens are horrified with it and want to believe there's a greater concept of justice. And I think for me the real test will be is this going to be a comment on the fact that Krakoa is just like us and therefore everything Beast did was sanctioned and so there will be no comeuppance? Or is this going to be about the sort of wishful And fantasy of We finally get to see somebody Who we believed was a hero Who failed us so totally That we kind of can't even conceive of how severe That failure was And he will be punished in a way that makes us Feel like I got some catharsis Out of this I really... I love, with like actual
0: love, people wanting to apply the depth of real world experience to comics because like I do too. I think it's really necessary when we put such stock in these books. But there is something I just want to like, I get that people are like, yeah, you know, Beast is a deeply embedded politician. Okay, we sometimes think that politicians getting in with pharmaceutical companies make them really bad at making informed laws involving said pharmaceuticals it's how we have the entire opioid industrial complex right beast is literally the pharmaceutical company and the pharmacist and the lab tech and the guy pushing it in congress and the senator voting he is doing all of these things and he leads the wet works team and he has somehow continued because this is the thing right you want to be like everybody beast isn't even acting suspect beast is acting deranged and erratic. Like when you watch Unsolved Mysteries and you know Robert Stack is like in the days leading up to his disappearance friends thought he was behaving strangely. And it cuts to somebody who was like yeah I don't know I mean he like he sold everything that he owned and he uh, crashed his car into the wall and he threw all of his guns in the river but I just thought it was like he was having a weird week. And you just want to be like hmm this? (laughs) Guys that has been Beast's last three years and whatever his fucking plan is great great plan i'm (laughs) tiny little castanet claps but like what is your fucking plan that is so good beast that logan is still going for it like forget that logan is missing and everybody should be like where's the hairy runt man everybody should be like but beast's plans are all kind of trash by virtue of who makes them right you're always such a tough act to follow (laughs) i'm
1: like um Beast sucks.
0: As soon as I ended, too, I was like, Ian Zeering would play a great beast. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs>
2: <laughs> Something else I'm thinking about is, we're, this is a Wolverine title, but is this actually a Beast story? Are we viewing Beast story through the lens of Killer Wolverine right now? And I don't think that's not inherently interesting. I commend the idea for that. I think it's a, a storytelling device that works well in comics. However, I don't know if this is a story for me that I'm going to get that much enjoyment out of because I don't care that Beast is, when Beast is an asshole, I don't care that Beast is making big political moves. I don't really care about any of that in the sense of that's fine beast can do whatever he wants and he can be shady and pretend that he like you know do that evil thing of like rub his hands together and everyone's like we know what you're doing beast you're not that secretive but i don't know if this specific story of everybody kind of just turning a blind eye to beast using wolverine as this weapon of you know destruction that he is maybe there's different ways we can view this narrative where it feels not so as you put it wish fulfillment
1: i would like to take a moment just a a moment of appreciation for nanny's anti-aircraft missile launching accessory because that's pretty amazing.
3: It's really funny that the Sabertooth book, as we began reading it, we all really noticed what an important meditation it was on justice and prison reform and then it started adding in these characters that we were like, is this silly? But then you were just so impressed with how Victor Laval was using the characters and then at the end of the series you find out that we've added people like Nanny and Toad and I really was thinking that this this was going to kind of hit me with that brilliant like a, another meditation on something because I knew we weren't going to do carceral justice in the same way for this one and again zigging when I thought it was going to zag this was just kind of a fun like actiony slapstick issue it teased up a lot of stuff and that data page about the surgeon who experimented on black women hugely important but those types of narratives aren't as woven into this first issue the way they were for a lot of. Of Sabertooth for a lot of the first Sabretooth series, whereas Wolverine really seemed like it was finally ready to start doing a lot of that more necessary work on like making us think about exactly what is going on here rather than the kind of extended long game that Percy is playing where we're just adding story and plot point to X-Force and Wolverine each week and kind of waiting to see when the comeuppance is going to come up. Yeah,
0: I really had some... It's, I know I've said it like on every recording for a month, but because I think it is really starting to affect how I read comics and understanding of the industry. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with understanding the industry on any level you want. You can be a fan of comics just as the funny books on paper. One of the things that I tend to, as like, you know, a person who puts a lot of time into this show, I like looking at, like, kind of the art of it. And, yeah, now that I really understand that an issue six, that is the first issue of a new arc, is gonna sell a whole lot less than issue one of a new series, and it's going to cost the same to produce so I don't know why you would produce a book that intentionally makes less money that's not how business works it's cool to think that you could always do it that way but it's you know you gotta find a balance I think this issue really read like an issue 6 like everything about this was an issue 6 it's just them getting an airship this is the point in the video game where you get outside the original citadel and you switch to the second PS1 disc and uh, you know the load screen tells you to to hit X when you've switched discs. It's that kind of moment. But you got to call it a new number one and you got to give it a fancy, you know, new word so that it'll sell more
3: copies. Well, what's interesting is I think you're right from a standard comic book storyline, character, adventure, superhero standpoint. It, it is exactly an issue six. But the one thing that really surprised me was exactly as I said, like it really seems like with this new title, thematically, Victor Laval is interested in discussing very different things and not pulling from the same meditations that were in 1 through 5. And I'm interested to see if that pays off in terms of readers wanting to switch tracks and follow him because he's such a brilliant writer, or if we are kind of, if a lot of us are set in our comic book, Ways and we can't really get into this one because it is, you know, essentially an issue six.
1: This is a nice setup for a fresh roster of characters. Also, I think as we go, you know, with these exiles liberating different, you know, mutant death camps, I'm sure there will be a lot of bodies, but maybe a couple of them will be alive and we might get some cool new mutants in the mix. It just feels like that's uh, like what this is teed for, you know, like, this, like Sabretooth is going to become this, you know, big figure for like the lost and forgotten discarded mutants out there.
0: And I think that says a lot about the way we we look at systems of control right when you think about who is the leader of you know quote-unquote leader i'm not like saying the actual at any given time in canon but when you think about who's the leader of the avengers well it's probably cap but who's the guy who like is like in charge of the avengers Uh, it's probably tony if he's financially supporting it but even if they're all that powerful thor could mop the floor with them any day and he technically outranks them you know being a (laughs) god king you know and then but Hulk can legitimately punt Thor. Okay, but Carol has a higher US military rank than Cap? Right? Right, but Black Panther is the leader of the na- of a nation. Right uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think technically She-Hulk has proven that she's as strong as Hulk. And it just gets to be such a complicated setup to like move through who's in charge of what. So even if you tell me, not you, but all of us, even if we say, Oh, well, the quiet council's in charge, oh well, Charlie's in charge, even if oh it's Charles is in charge. Charles in yeah. charge <laughs> of yeah, our knights. Really Carlos and Carga. Okay. <sighs> um, Um, But even if you say, you know, Charles is the guy who leads the X-Men, I can't do it twice. The the reality is Wolverine is like the front piece of the X-Men. Emma Frost is the front piece of the X-Men. If there's going to be a leader of the exiles who represent the new bad guys that were the Brotherhood because there's no reason for the Brotherhood to be bad guys, you know, we now have that over in red and it's a beautiful thing. But so if these exiles are kind of like, quote unquote, the bad guys. They could have a different leader structure while Sabretooth stands in as sort of the spiritual vibe guide for the team the way Wolverine is said spiritual vibe guide, Your suit man in a denim jacket.
3: And, you know, Wolverine is kind of that for the concept of the X-Men, but what about when we get into X-Force and Wolverine really has not been that. It's, you know, we've kind of been looking at Beast for that, primarily, but now we've really got Sage on this precipice of like being able to take the lead, having a lot of ideas, coming into conflict with Beast. And also having drunk speech bubbles and saying hiccup a lot collapsing into raging alcoholism. Yeah. Like are, you know, are we rooting for Sage to get her act together and usurp beast? Are we thinking usurp beast, regardless of whether you're or not your act is together? What is your feeling about what needs to happen for, you know, in story X-Force to remain viable and for as a comic book for this team to remain viable with its current leadership?
1: Well, I mean, with its current leadership, is the deal breaker right there cuz we have <laughs> got to get rid of Beast. I think I think I am rooting for Sage. I want Sage to get her shit together 100%. It doesn't look good, but I guess we'll see. Um, I also think like this is ripe for some fresh blood. I think, you know, seeing a change in the roster. I wouldn't even mind seeing a little bit of maybe the X Factor kids kind of mentioned and brought back. Maybe they need to they need some oversight over X Force or, you know, a little restructuring. There's there's a lot of possibilities that, uh, but I mean, Beast is like this isn't even like a heel turn. Like this is the full you know villain. <laughs> like Beast is non-negotiable. You know, I mean, and it, it's been questionable and objective, objectionable, and not good for quite some time. But like this is just beyond the pale. So his comeuppance is coming.
3: Jonah, how you feeling about the leadership of X Force?
2: You know, I. Don't- don't know if this is the storyline for both of these characters of where I want to see them I've you know we've talked about Beast and I I don't know if I like this specific direction I think there's a way to make it for more my interest but you know that's more of a personal opinion but Sage drinking a lot I often talked about uh, on episodes how I think Sage is truly the one carrying Kokoa in many different ways and not really getting her due props and I kind of feel like it's taking a toll on her she's playing a huge thankless role and she has so many responsibilities where she spreads so thin that I don't like seeing this storyline but I understand where it comes from and you could argue that it makes sense to see Sage at her lowest point right now before she you know overturns and tries to make a 180 or she continues down this hole that isn't to say that something like a storyline like this could be interesting but Sage is never the main focus of any issue really Sage isn't our primary character we're not getting Sage's perspective most of the time we're not really getting Sage's thoughts Sage is often an ancillary character who kind of makes snarky comments about other people so it feels a little weird to say and see this character who's meant to have this large important role go through this downward spiral which is fine and i absolutely would love to read more about it but we don't have enough of it because it's never her story
0: and i think that's sort of the curse of trying to be in x-force or wolverine we talk a lot about ben percy on this book because we read uh, currently three books by ben percy and that makes him unavoidable and good for him that he has three titles coming out of marvel but there is something that is kind of unmissable that the main character of his X-Force is Wolverine. Even though it's Beast, it's Wolverine. It's always kind of reacting to Wolverine. And it always reminds me of when I was a kid. I remember thinking, oh, the guy who's writing Avengers is writing Thor. Thor is going to be in a lot of Avengers. Oh, the guy who's writing Defenders is also writing Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is going to be the main event uh, Defender for a little bit. And not like being precious about it. Because I'm not precious about New Mutants. I don't care who you put in New Mutants. I would think a really cool volume of New Mutants would be an entire volume of people ranging from 40s to their 80s who are new to living a mutant life and have just settled into Krakoa. I would love the hell out of that and calling that New Mutants that title would still work for me. I would have no problem. But X-Force for 115 issues was like the continuation of New Mutants, that crew of kids in some capacity. And then we've got, you know, my precious Allred and Milligan, you know, great. And then when we came back, all of a sudden it was like Wolverine's X-Force. Okay. And we got Cable and X-Force and Uncanny X-Force for a little bit. But then after a few more failed volumes of X-Force, we're right back to its Wolverine's book. And what makes that tricky is what isn't Wolverine's book. If he's in it, what doesn't he eclipse? So I think the leadership change on Wolverine should possibly be creative. I don't think Ben Percy should have one less title, and if it wants to say stay X-Force and Wolverine, great. But I think I need another book that sort of explores something else, because Beast and Wolverine, I see them in a number of my titles, and now I see Deadpool in the pages of X-Force, and his own book and he had all of those pages in that recent Amazing New Mutants issue. So it becomes that there is no commodification of the content of Wolverine and X-Force. The content is very available, very common. So my issue isn't with the quality of the story. It's with the availability of what's in the story. There's nothing making this the only supply of it. And when that happens, all of the books with those characters go to the bottom of my list when it becomes the oh right my 11 books of Wolverine and Jean and I love Jean even you know but like when it becomes the how am I supposed to like we said earlier get all of these appearances to make sense it gets a little frustrating
3: and so as we move towards the end and are talking about leadership I can't help but notice that the title of the upcoming issue of Sabretooth is called the Peter Principle which is the assertion that you rise to the level of your incompetence you fail upwards We get Sabretooth in a seeming moment of triumph for Sabretooth at the end of Sabretooth and the Exiles, getting out of captivity, grabbing a ship, and coming to rescue the ragtag group of denizens of the pit. And the next issue we're talking about, you know, failing upwards. What are you guys thinking we're going to see? Not really even necessarily in the next issue, but as we go forth with this title.
0: I think it might apply in some way to Orphan Maker, whose Ah, name is Peter. Also, I can't stop imagining nanny doing a real sassy janet jackson the peter principal right it's it's real amazing it's real sly i love it and man now i really need somebody to do the cover of control but it's nanny you know (laughs) also Um, doing
3: the
1: choreography of course
0: and also the cover of janet period and so it's also just the big belly button, open pants <laughs> shot on the back. But please um, do
1: not do the Rolling Stone cover.
2: Okay. No, please do not. But I really want to see. This is so random. But I want to see Nanny Voguing. I feel like it'd be yeah. really funny. The stavia art, like the silhouette, I think it would be very funny.
0: I want to see her do the dance from Together Again. Nanny doing Together Again with the hair would be <laughs> everything to me. Uh, man, Nanny's velvet rope. We really do have a special need. I don't even remember the question anymore because I can't stop sexualizing Nanny. I don't think you were Ooh, sexualizing we're her. You were janitizing her. <laughs> that <laughs> is true. Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. I think at some point we are going to have to see these two like monolithic male forces of aggression come back in contact with each other. I know there's a lot of things about what next summer is going to be and like the villains coming back for Krakoa. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever army Sabretooth builds up is going to have to really, really believe in him. And so I think we're going to see a story that very possibly uh, delves into the idea of cult of personality and just how far some of these people are going to go to follow Sabretooth because. Some So far, they all seem pretty suspect of him. They all seem to think he's, you know, saber-tooth. But they can't all think he's saber-tooth the whole time. That's not going to survive a book. And if it does, you know, Victor Laval, dude, you've blown me away every single time. I will continue to be blown away. Conversely, like I said, Wolverine is a very available commodity, including the contents of his book in terms of character. Like Beast showed up in a couple of issues of Legion of X and Nightcrawler, Deadpool, and so many titles. So for me, I really am hoping that Wolverine can get a little bit more of what makes it unique on the page.
1: I'm looking forward to seeing Oya and Necra's relationship blossom. I'm looking forward to some Toad content over on Wolverine and X-Force. You know, I'm, I'm just in it for the long haul. I'd like to see Beast get his comeuppance, uh, but we'll get there. Give me more new mutants over in Exiles. Give me some more forgotten D-listers.
2: I'm looking forward to the redemption arc of all of these characters where in some of them I'm like I don't even think you really needed a redemption arc I don't know if you you being thrown down in the pit was warranted that being said I am ki- I was really appreciative of the story and the dialogue and it made me realize how much I miss Nanny so getting to see a lot more Nanny will be a lot more fun and all these characters who I've never read before I'm happy to be introduced to them and see where we're gonna go with them
3: huzzah oh, I think we got a lot to look forward to maybe some really hideous gross out art coming out from both of these books and at the end of the day i think we will realize that nobody should be the leader
4: My name is Jake, and you can find me trapped on the altar of waiting for someone to let me out, or on Twitter at Omega Sentinel. That's O-H, Mega Sentinel.
1: And I'm Arturo, y ya tu sabe, You can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. And if I'm not there, I'm in the altar trying to figure out exactly what it is.
4: <laughs> so today we're here to give a little conversation time to David Haller, aka Legion, aka the first scion of the House of Xavier, aka that guy who made the Age of X Reality War.
1: Do you have any? Definitely the hair guy. The I mean, the hair is kind of like the signature bit. Kind of terminally emo. I don't know. He's in a way, he's kind of like the X-Men universe's answer to Morpheus of the Endless in a way.
4: I can see that for sure. I also kind of think of him as the like, through a mirror, darkly Franklin Richards. You know, he's the son of a great superhero, but he's you know considered very damaged especially from his like you know first like 30 some odd years of publication
1: as soon as you said that all i want is like a four issue mini of the two of them like (laughs) saving the universe
4: and complaining about their shitty dads the whole time That's a theme that unifies both of them. Reed Richards, sometimes they try and sell him as a good dad, but I never buy that because his first love is science and you can't have two loves like that. You know, Franklin and now Valeria and and Sue just don't take up that same place in his heart. And for Xavier, Legion has never, ever, ever taken that place in his heart. He's never loved his son. He barely knew about him, but he never loved him.
1: And then with the retcon with Moira and them, you know, individually trying to create an omega it just Mm -hmm. adds this whole other layer to something that was already uncomfortable to begin with yeah you know i like at its surface i think there's something about legion that or, or i'll just speak like from my own experience as a queer male there's just like differences between my my dad and i and he loves me to death and you know the same like we we've got a good relationship at this point but i like me being cast as like the fuck up is like a recurring theme i will never like, you know, fully meet the expectations. I'll always fall short. Or at least maybe, you know, whatever. That's my baggage. That's how I feel. There's a lot about Legion that it's it's that. It's its own kind of like
4: sub-branch of the mutant metaphor is the story of the queer experience. Like, right. you've the like sensitive, very creative but untempered kind of queer-coded son of a very powerful figure who is rejected by his father and his father can't relate to just having so much in common with him. There's something very queer to that story for sure. Mm-hmm. Poor David is on the receiving end of a lot of shitty just shitty circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, Charles, you know, technically his dad didn't was was never present for his childhood, but even under the best of circumstances, Charles had his own shitty parental situation, shitty parental cross to bear and
1: technically rec- his father never really his dad. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. And even when he had the opportunity to step in, you know, Charles is carrying his own parental baggage having re- been on the receiving end of a lot of his own emotional abuse and physical abuse from his his stepfather, from his mother, from his own father. And then you've got poor Gabriella Haller, who is a survivor of the Holocaust. You know, is also a survivor of some very serious boundary transgressions from her, you know, one of her therapists in the form of Charles Xavier. There's just no winning for poor David without, like, a lot of support and intervention. And that just wasn't there for him. He was mostly catatonic on an island in Scotland.
1: Until Krakoa. I love, like, Like seeing him as a character like this, it feels like we're getting so much more of him and and he's like actually progressing. And, you know, it's comic books, like it's all made of rubber. Everything kind of goes back to its original form eventually. And, you know, some of the best things are the things that stick. And I hope that, you know, that Legion is a different, a fundamentally different character moving forward.
4: Well, and I think that some of the groundwork for the Legion we see here has been laid by Cy Spurrier, especially. Especially the person who's writing Legion of X right now. Mm -hmm. As far back as when he took over X-Men Legacy and made Legion the main character of that series and really started the rehabilitation of Legion into someone who was self-reflective, someone who was trying to build his self-confidence and work on himself and make connections in his community. And in Krakoa, you see so much of that work realized and you see David Mm -hmm. at a place of balance that he's never really been before. And rightly saying, you know, I could slip up, rightly saying that, like, you know, you don't know what tomorrow brings and and the circumstances could change and I could lose myself for a little while. But the point is, I have tools in the toolbox for dealing with crises that I didn't have before. He had to put himself back together. Other people had to, like, were violently trying to put him together like a puzzle. And that just causes problems. When Nemesis was, like, trying to imprison all of the aspects of his psyche, that's what catalyzed the Age of X reality war. When he was you know coming out of a you know a crazy coma trying to trying to achieve his father's vision in the most radical way he created the uh, age of apocalypse reality warp you know whenever he has been his most imbalanced is when he's at his most dangerous but now he has tools for helping himself when he finds himself in that state and he rules him even when he's having a bad day even when he's off his kilter he can tilt himself back again or has built community up in such a way that they can help him too I think the thing, the turn that I have loved most in in David's growth in this era has been seeing him have all of these really awful, awful, awful moments with his father where his father is just like telling him he's a petulant child, telling him that he's selfish and spoiled while David is really putting himself out there for the first time, trying to build community and support community and be a leader in community. And his dad could not be bothered. I loved that Charles's judgment from the progenitor was he ignored the progenitor pretending to be david and so he failed because he ignores because he's so used to ignoring his son
1: like that was like one of the top five progenitor moments
4: the other really sick burn moment was when david says sorry about your dad to warlock after giving him the bad news that his father is dead and warlock says sorry about yours
1: (laughs) right just like in general
4: warlock has known professor x for a long time too Mm -hmm. and knows just exactly. Exactly what kind of piece of shit he can be. Mm-hmm. It's just fun and refreshing that this is also the era where we all agree that Professor Xavier is a jerk. We finally got behind Kitty on this one. The ideologue is off his kilter.
1: You know what's funny like we're all still in mourning about Magneto, mm-hmm. but hot damn if if Xavier had perished in this crossover.
4: Remember in X-Force he was killed and he was like immediately brought back. Whereas for Magneto, being a leader means putting putting the stakes in place and making them high and saying, I will sacrifice myself for this community.
1: It's important that some of us fight and survive. Otherwise, what is the point of fighting?
4: Magneto's sacrifice was, first of all, it was clearly very well planned. I, I can't for a second imagine that someone didn't look at that Wednesday and say, well, that's going to be the day we kill Magneto because that's Yom Kippur, um, which is like the day of atonement in oh, Jewish I tradition. I
1: realize it was
3: released.
4: That's oh. the most important high holy day in the Jewish tradition. When you stack the evil, you know, quote, quote, evil things that Magneto did up against the like the the lives that he saved and and also like his his struggle for good and his struggle to like lean into his better nature over his more violent nature. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Magneto earned his place in the book of life and that, yes, Magneto was right. He was right about a lot of things and he was right to step in where Charles couldn't and be a dad to David in that last moment where David needed him.
1: Mm -hmm incredible and I I love David you know lamenting but then also kind of almost being jealous Mm -hmm. you know that of Magneto having that hero's death like not just because of the difference he made but I think there's something you know sad about that where Legion like he can see like the peace that would come with that you know
4: and it was really beautiful that David got to have that moment
1: of self-reflection but
4: you know now he has work to do and he has a legacy to live up to
1: and I, I love that he gets the thumbs up and <laughs> yeah. and that's uh, at that moment he's like oh fuck your judgment he's already gotten what he needs you know out of this calamitous horrible catastrophic event yeah uh, it doesn't matter what the progenitor says you know
4: yeah he's kind of the progenitor is kind of just there to like listen while david works it out loud himself kind of like having a good friend who you just you're like listen i, I don't need you to respond i just need you to hear everything that i have to say and then just give me a hug afterwards <laughs> like the progenitor kind of gave him a hug and he's like oh piss off you're no help but it's nice to see that that return to his his personal mantra i rule me that's Mm -hmm. that's a good place to be and i think this is the beginning of a new chapter for legion going forward i hope because i this is i've never been more excited for this character i never felt you know more connection to this character in light of the like real heavy emphasis on
1: the father issues of it all Mm -hmm. yeah i'm i'm really into it and i'm hoping for bigger things for him you know moving but no This seems to be something that we're rolling with for a while. Sean Cassidy's had a rough go of the Krakoan era. Not much good has happened to him. I don't think this qualifies as good, but it's certainly interesting. I absolutely love the color scheme, love the chains, love the blue fire. This is the mutant
4: spirit of vengeance, which is appropriately named variants because what is a mutant? A variant! There's something to... You know, Sean's power is, you know, the sonic screams, but he's also just had a lot of identities in his past and to me there's something really appropriate about this newest one this idea of like just sort of leaning into the idea that this is another big step for Sean you know he's not just the the mutant of X anymore he's now something else just like he was an Interpol agent for a while and a policeman for a while and a teacher for a while this is a new phase and he's not Banshee anymore he is, he is the host of the spirit of variance and who knows what that means is this another window into mutant spirituality that's a question i'd like answered
1: well and i love that it's just you know a big grab at the broader marvel you know mythology of it all ghostwriter loved them as a kid mostly just because of the artwork like good times not a character i followed closely right robbie reyes is cool like once like frank castle became a spirit of vengeance or the spirit of vengeance frank castle from a different earth apparently earth trn666 anyways he was the the cosmic ghost writer right but it was a cool idea It was like oh cool that's you know that's like a different marvel character and i love that it's like well why can't we have a spirit of vengeance and actually Mm -hmm. wouldn't ours not just be a spirit of vengeance it'd be a mutant of those spirits so Mm -hmm. here we are and i live for it
4: we love our mutants of a species that's that's how we got warlock he's the mutant of his species he's got empathy
1: Love Warlock. One of the last two page spreads in this book is maybe like Panel of the Week Legion, basically deadlifting or or like doing a squat with reality on his, you know, overhead and his Mm. C anemone type living filaments of hair and shirtless and abs for days and (laughs) fantastic. Just incredible artwork.
4: Digital page 16 for the folks at home and the the art there is done by Raphael Pimentel and the color by Frederico Lee.
1: And they make a hell of a team. They say. really do. Uh, and I love anytime we get Legion's Cerebro head. That's a fun time. His it. altar head. I love it. And we even get a little bonus Flaming Banshee. That's my final thought. <laughs> the artwork is beautiful.
4: The artwork is beautiful.
5: Hello, everybody, and my name is Steve, and my pronouns are they and them. You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at HowdyDuda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A.
6: And that makes me Raven, your art ho-auntie. And you can find me as Sanguine Threads across many things. And yeah, come on over. Let's start a conversation.
7: And I'm Steven, and you could find me over on Twitter at Steven of Wonder, and over on Facebook as an admin
2: for the House of North Star. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience unlike I hope that Johnny Sublime does not survive. Yes. I love that we're still
5: calling him John Sublime as if it's yeah. a part of his name that needs to be there. But it's, he's always going to be doing It is for me. It is it for me. Is for me. Is he is Johnny Sublime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's John he, Sublime, this... the front man of famous band Sublime.
7: Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, so this is taking place in the past, right? So doesn't he technically survive, unfortunately? He does.
5: Ex- he does survive at least one of these experiences experiences. And he survives uh, it in Here Comes Yesterday, Part 2, Marauders Number 8, which is the book we're wow. talking about today. It is written by Steve Orlando, art by Eleonora Carlini, colors by Matt Milla, letters and production by VCs Ariana Mar, and design by Tom Muller. I also had this lovely peach mocha cover. I'd like to talk a little bit about where everybody's at with Marauders. I actually haven't read any issue of Marauders since issue four. I kind of lost interest in the book for a little bit, although I appreciated the art a lot, but I caught up on it really fast to get up for this issue and
7: there's actually a lot of questions raised. I haven't read since issue four either as a matter of fact so I'm with you on that.
6: I also for some reason had a drop off at about issue four and didn't pick it up again until I think the last issue issue seven so I've got a couple to catch up on and not for failure of the book because I actually really enjoy this book it's a really fun over-the-top space romp that I don't necessarily take too seriously as affecting our current timeline because i mean. It's all over the place. It's space. It's hyperbolic, and now they're throwing themselves into the two billion years into the past. So who knows where it goes?
2: Marauders hasn't been my favorite title, not for any one specific reason. I think it's just a culmination of my interest lying elsewhere. But this issue, I was pleasantly surprised by a couple of things that we got here. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it, honestly.
7: The two main things I don't like in stories are space and time travel.
5: I've had so much trouble with this, and I've said this to a bunch of people while been reading this comic. Why is Threshold not Okara? Why is the story about the first blood spilled not the story of like Amenth or the Twilight Sword? Why is it the Shi'ar? Why is it the unbreathing? Why is it Threshold? Why aren't we talking about Okara? Why are we talking about Threshold?
6: I will absolutely agree with you. I wish they would focus on following Okara or, you know, Krakoa, Amenth. I wish they would follow through on those storylines instead of adding yet another. It doesn't feel
5: additive so much as it feels like it's crowding the room a little bit with these like mutant societies in the past I actually really love that Steve Orlando is trying to tell these stories about deep time and convergent evolution and parallels between species and like re-evolving species over time it's just that like yeah adding something on top of Okara when it could have just been about Okara uh, filling up this like Jason Aaron's purview of like what happened before a million years ago two billion years ago is uh, is so far in the history of the planet and it's just Mm -hmm. like it just beggars belief for me i already had to have karen Gillen tell me why there were humans a million years ago you know
7: it's just it feels like too much we just learned about you know origins of mutants and now we're getting a new origin of mutants and it feels too close together
2: i am fascinated as to what this specifically means especially looking at it in terms of like what you know the most recent event we had judgment day we kind of saw that there was a form of mutants we had like these mutant simians uh considered excess deviations that were corrected but now we have stuff that's 2 billion years earlier and I think there's a little bit of trickery uh, where I don't know if everybody in the X office is communicating what they specifically want to do because I, I imagine a lot of these stories of what these ideas are like uh, the flesh out not 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 every single word for word story uh, of what's going to go in, into each comic but the uh, general idea of what's going on might be tossed around so to make sure nobody's like doing the same thing everybody can kind of have a similar continuity mutancy and the mutants in the X gene were like this big thing to the Eternals at least in the past that they excessively corrected, but we're not doing it here.
7: And the best part is they even talked about the eternal issue in
5: this issue. And this is so long before the Eternals existed on Earth, right? This is before the Celestials ever came to the planet, at least in the chronology that we know of now currently. Were there even animals? There were definitely no mammals at that time. There were definitely no flowers at that time on the planet.
6: Like Like if they were talking about going back, oh, a couple million years. Okay, maybe, maybe I can believe that there are like hominids that would semi resemble us and over. Okay, that's where you got the mutant gene factor. But you're talking two billion years back. Before there were monkeys, before
5: there were the things that led to monkeys, before there were
6: rodents on this earth. And you're telling me that avians have thumbs. That's something that I'm having so much trouble with is, oh, yes, the Shi'ar are so old. Our avian progenitors, I'm like, bitch, you didn't have thumbs. You barely had claws
5: the biggest questions that this book raises for me are like, what does it mean to be mutant? Is a mutant something that has an X gene and is biologically blood related? Because in that case, you know, we're excluding things like Warlock or Ariel, the alien mutants that we see and we're excluding things like, I don't know, we we can include the deviants because mutants came from deviants, but deviants came from humans and celestials that appeared on this planet a billion years after these creatures, right? These creatures are Mm -hmm. genetically related only in the sense that every creature on earth is genetically related ultimately to the last universal common ancestor so like if if these are not like really mutants right then they must be mutant in another sense so which sense is it it seems like this book is saying these are mutants in the sense that they are powered individuals on the planet earth and that doesn't work for me because we've seen like the reason that crow and the deviants aligned with mutants in judgment day was because they're standing together and they're saying look you are hated and feared by this powerful oppressive force, and you're being killed because of your difference and your your abnormality from the typical way of being in this society. That makes you deviant enough for us. That makes you mutant enough for us. You know That's saying what unites us is the way that we've been treated by society and our difference. And we can stand together as marginalized peoples and see each other as, as siblings. And I think that's really powerful. On the other hand, are mutants only their oppression? Are mutants defined by being oppressed and be, by being othered, by being different? This is Series is raising those questions in what I think is a really interesting way, because the Thresholders are not oppressed people. They're the majority mm. of their species, which I have to point out is, again, not humans. They're, they call them mutants and humans, but that's Kate Pride maybe being incorrect about her terminology here, because...
6: Reductionist, yeah. We're,
5: we're, we're talking about yeah, a, a species probably. that arose before mammals. It's completely different, right? So they have powered individuals and non-powered individuals. The powered individuals are the majority, and the non-powered individuals, while seemingly not oppressed, they're cherished or protected by the quote unquote mutants, the enriched people. So we've got a people that Kate Pride looks at as mutants. Is she looking at them as mutants because they are powered like mutants are? Because that seems to be what she's doing, but that's not enough to make a mutant, right? That's like looking at the entire scroll species and saying, well, they're mutants too. Mm-hmm. And like they would have probably just about as much in common besides like being born on Earth as the thresholders do with modern mutants, because they don't have that history of oppression together, and that does seem to be a thing that ties Araco to other people or ties Deviants to mutants. But but if mutants are not defined solely by their oppression, are they only defined by having powers, as Kate seems to think? Because these thresholders created weapons of biological war in an attempt to exterminate a rival species, the the, unbre- the unbreathing, right? Like, I think we'll probably find out that they are maybe not as nice to the unenriched, the enshrined in their culture as we're led to believe.
6: And it feels like so often mutants have been used as the analog to marginalized groups, so queer community. people of color that kind of thing are they going to go so far back as to then paint these usually poc and marginalized group analogs as actually being the their own catalyst for oppression Where they tried to exterminate another group that other group retaliated because they didn't want to be literally driven into extinction and that you know they finally overthrew these you know people and then made them marginalized groups and that's why humans hate mutants so much because of this (laughs) deep past i'm like what in the fuck please please don't go that route because those those ramifications we don't need i completely agree and that's a huge fear i
7: have is we're turning this into well our are we the victims kind of thing and it's like that is not an ideal story to tell
2: just saw the new black panther movie and i was explaining to my roommate you know what it means to be a mutant because that features namor and namor is a mutant and Mm -hmm. i was explaining that like to be a mutant it's what we know mutants have the concept of what we call the x gene and that just means you're a mutant but namor and megan are examples of mutants who are mutants of their species but they're not humans and so you're bringing up very interesting concepts of okay are we redefining that are we redefining that the presence of this if the dna isn't there what constitutes quote unquote mutant
5: we can talk outside of mutants too we can talk about like warlock is considered a mutant because he's unlike anybody else in a species or brew of the brood is a mutant because he's unlike any other brood they're abnormal for their species so they're considered mutants on krakowa and krakowa recognizes them as mutants as does ship so there's there's at least a definition for mutants that is important to mutant culture that is outside of the presence of an x-gene and it seems pretty clear that the x-gene wouldn't exist in threshold given what we know about it coming from deviancy right from the deviance from the- Celestial much later I think Kate Pride is wrong that these are mutants like and it's hard to tell a story within the bounds of the mutant metaphor with these people I think it maybe is telling more a story of like well over the entire timeline of a people no people remains the same like you're not always going to be the victim you're not always going to be uh, a person in a position of power um over over two billion years right that's just things are going to change dynamics are going to shift and like maybe it's trying to tell a story about how marginalized people are capable of great evil too in like desperate situations but it's not a story i want to hear in the x-men and it's not a story i think any of you want to read in the x-men comics because what does that help other than people who hate marginalized people have a justification for it right Despite all the qualms I have about this book and its relationship to the mutant metaphor and the difficulty of its sci-fi, there is some stuff that I really appreciated catching up on this book for yes. like the last four issues. Oh, really yeah. quick. Among them are I love the cast. It's really mm-hmm. great to see like Kanon and Gray Crow going on dates and hanging out at the bar, just the two of them spending time together. Ever since Hellions has made my heart warm, and it's really great to see this awesome couple of you know characters of color who hang out and date outside of the generally white X-Men dating pool for character's mm-hmm. color, and I'm really appreciating the coloring in the series. I love the way that Tempo is colored. I love the way that Somnus is colored. Okay. I love the way that Akihiro is colored. All of these characters of color are getting rich skin tones, and Tempo is getting a lot of, like, variable hairstyles that are natural mm-hmm. and like, really beautiful, and they're exploring like, kind of, what these characters can look like when they're resting and relaxing. Like, when they're all hanging out in the hot springs, that's, that's really hot, and it's also cool. It's a classic X-Men moment, hanging out naked together in a, in a hot springs or something.
7: That is my Favorite part of the entire book because, like you said, everyone looks Good. just so blended and beautiful. Yeah. There's a panel of tempo next to Samus,
6: and she just looks so gorgeous. Uh-huh. So often, when they draw black people and when they color black people, you get a base coat and some shadow, and that is it. And there are yeah. undertones here. There are blues to the skin. There are these gentle, soft reds that give her blush and depth. I freaking love yeah. the coloring and and artwork in this book. And I think that's why I keep coming back so much. Is because mm. the art is gorgeous and the colors just...
7: Oh! The art is a huge hit for me. The Hot Springs is just the biggest example of why the art is such a win for this book. Yes. And is. she's just drawn so beautifully. Like, I was unable to just stop looking at her. The undertones are so gorgeous. Like, I mean, it's so hot in this book. Bishop like, looking mm. fine as yeah, a... Like, mm-hmm. I just... And Akihiro.
5: Oh, my... need is so good with expression. I always feel like I know what the characters are thinking.
7: Yeah. I will say I was really excited to see Maggot. (laughs) Yeah. I just I wish he was like actually in the book though.
6: If you look, there's one panel where there's Somnus, Bishop, and Tempo all in the same panel and they all have different shades of brown. Yes that is so important like it's a small thing but it is honestly so important that they are not all the same shade of brown i and, love it yeah
7: and then when you see gray crow like even he looks mm-hmm. different than even like there's such a variation in skin tone it's such oh. a win for this book and he it flushes when he's
5: angry in such oh a my god. God. yes
7: yeah. yes like, his cheeks and
6: nose get bright <laughs> uh, when he's pissed
7: <laughs> Yup, his cheeks too like oh my mm-hmm. god like it's just so stunning
6: by the way who's Zay- and geef daddy over here oh power. <laughs> oh, oh my god thank you I'll crush you like a sparrow's egg between my thighs looking guy <laughs> Something that I do like about the book, fantastic
7: individual character interaction. Yeah. They have amazing character moments. Cassandra Nova in particular. I really love that we're getting a bit more
6: nuance into her character. I both love and hate that I am so like enamored. Like I don't love her. I don't love her, but I love Murder Hobo Auntie and I love yeah. the fact that they actually gave her some freaking nuance rather than just keeping her as this villainous ghoul like yeah. that was shocking Absolutely. like when she got grabbed and she screamed I was like oh shit she's she's actually got feelings in there but they're like shoved under a deep layer of like she's traumatized I didn't realize how fucking traumatized she was
5: she spends a lot of this issue being like yeah they thought they could fix me and they literally came upon me while I was like mutilating Krakoa so they'll let me do just mm-hmm. about anything now <laughs> like she is yeah. It's terrifying the trauma that she has like i love that we're exploring why she is the way she is i love it and i love that it doesn't make her any less like horrific
2: hella probably wants her helmet back um she must be very (laughs) upset i appreciate what they're doing about cassandra nova because Mm i am personally not a fan of the way that villains are currently being treated in a lot of media where we need to give them this super sympathetic backstory Mm -hmm. and i think there's two separate stories of you can have a villain be redeemed and they can go through a redemption Arc, and that's fine mm-hmm. and you can also have a villain have sympathy but also understand like they're still terrible people and i like that they're doing the mm-hmm. latter for cassandra we can understand why cassandra nova did what she did mm-hmm. but recognize that they were still atrocities and she's still not a good person
7: this adds so many layers to her character that i find her more believable now yeah mm-hmm.
5: I like that they're not trying to redeem the character because Cassandra Noah is explicitly a character who doesn't want to be redeemed. And also, nobody wants to redeem her. Like, that's a mutual agreement not to be redeemed. And I respect Mm -hmm. that. Next up, we're talking about Legion of X number seven, The Hand That Mocked Them and the Heart That Fed. This issue is written by Cy Spurrier, penciled by Neto Diaz, inked by Sean Parsons, colored by Federico Blee, lettered by Clayton Cowles, and design is handled by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. Personally, this is the first issue of Legion of X that I liked. Like, I really like this issue.
6: I like the characters, mostly because I have known these characters for a long time, but I'm just like, wow, this is, this is, they are just leaning into the Law and Order, fuck, and procedural kind of thing with how they are but also like I really do enjoy the banter between certain characters
7: barrier has a handle on certain characters the three that I really can think of are warlock I love sinister and nemesis like I think that they are written very very well even just the action of sinister like shooting nightcrawler in the face that was such (laughs) a great moment and I kept thinking I kept thinking the whole time like somebody just needs to kill him and see what happens sinister did it which i I will say i'm struggling with a little internally because why am i thinking the same way as these villains but like you know it is what it is everything else is too much for me
6: it's not that you're thinking like the villain it's that you know the villain so well that you're like i know at some point sinister is just gonna do something fucked up oh you just oh you just pulled out a good shot in the face i was coming next the moment he said
5: turning it off and on again. It's extremely oh good. Uh, <laughs> it's very Looney Tunes and Sinister's at his best when he's like a Looney Tune, which I feel like extends to the banter with Nemesis. You know, Nemesis shouting about four science like his I don't know, Dr. Steel in like 2008 or something. It's like, but okay, like, Krieger. It's just a fun, funny issue in a lot of ways. I was attracted to it because of all the phalanx talk. I love that Spurrier oh, has finally scary. decided to swing for the fences in a big sci-fi way. Like, and he's mm-hmm. let me be clear, he's been doing that throughout, but it's all been like astral consciousness stuff and talking about the law and faith and things like that and now suddenly like we're picking up on the Hickman phalanx plot and this is what I've been desperate for since powers of 10 ended like there's a lot of stuff in here that is just like reaching for the stars and like really nailing it like when warlock says like I think these these astral blooms that you've been seeing you know float in and you've just been letting mm-hmm. infect your mind palace I think these are like the ashes of my father I think these are the magus's mm-hmm. ashes drifting through idea space because oh did you you know, the phalanx are in, ev- they're pan dimensional. They're everywhere. They're not only in our reality as robots, but they're also astral technarchy in the form of giant, like anglerfish floating through idea space, devouring ideas, consuming them. They're the Borg mm-hmm. on a level that, like, is so cool to me. I love the idea. There's implications here that they are in our world, not the Marvel Universe, but our physical real world outside of comic books. You know, they exist on a mm-hmm. metafictional level as well as an astral level and energetic levels. And, Which I know, love. Ac- yeah, across across all being the phalanx are and the phalanx are consuming. And, I don't know, it's, it's something that reminds me of, like, the gentry from Multiversity, the idea of these, like, beings that invade your thoughts, these hostile thought forms that can travel through the medium of comic books. There's, there's so much in here that is intellectually appealing
2: part of why there's no telepaths or psychics in this because i think a lot of what's going on in these stories is characters hiding information of who they're meeting what's going on and telepaths kind of ruin that it's really hard to have characters withhold information from one another if you have somebody who can constantly read their mind
7: i don't understand the nightcrawler thing it does it actually does not make sense to me storylines like this when it comes to the the genetics of the character uh transferring to the clone because they're not going off of the dead body They're going off of a set of genetic code that they already have on file, and like all of a sudden, it's so I guess it's just altered, like it just doesn't make sense. Well,
2: the same thing could be said for Rock Slide, you know, (laughs) they had a very specific idea of this is what Earth 616 Rock Slide looks like, acts like this is his personality, but all of that got changed because he died in Otherworld. So it's not unheard of that something can affect the way that their sequences are uploaded.
5: I I will forever hate the Draco. For how little subtlety it has. Not not how, for how bad a story it is, but for just like completely biffing right. it at the
7: fucking point of Nightmare. Com- and yes. this is doing that again. <laughs> Yeah, words can't describe how much I loathe the uh, Nephilim and Seraphim story. And then, of course, freaking Warren is the other one affected. And no, that, like... oh my God, I swear my, my whole mouth went sour after that. It was so it, mad.
5: It's just the idea of anybody looking at Nightcrawler, any mutant on Krakoa in 2022, looking at Nightcrawler, the guy who looks like a demon who everybody on Earth just saw. Everybody on Earth is very familiar with Nightcrawler because they just saw him save mm-hmm. the world. Very publicly, but like everybody knows Nightcrawler, everybody knows what Nightcrawler looks like, everybody has known from time out of mind that Nightcrawler is the guy that looks like a blue demon but is actually really nice and not a demon. We all get that. Mm -hmm. So, why would they wake up one morning and he's got horns and then be like, Gasp? I would just wake up and be like, Oh, secondary mutation, right? You're like, Beast, you're doing that thing, that's fine. You know, like obviously, this was expected, right? You'd become more demon. Like, I've agreed with X,
7: I agree, and that's where part of the humor gets lost on me because you know, in the very beginning of the book, he's giving the speech about how he does. Doesn't deliver coal to children on Christmas and he's not the herald of the coming Ragnarok and this and that and I'm like okay there are so many characters with horns right there's that a, the can. Jersey
2: Devil right like there's I just don't horns. right Warren is not a stranger to body horror I'm gonna harken back to a older a much older issue Marvel Fanfare volume one number two which came out in 1982 where it saw Spider-Man team up with Warren and they went to the Savage Land and that's where we saw the Savage Land mutates that. That corrupted them. <laughs> Warren became like a bird person in that as well. Very much Birdman. That's where we got Man Spider for the first time. It's very telling that Peter had a conscious moment of turning the tides of battle because he realized, you know, what is good. And deep down, well, the entire time, Warren was just evil. And was trying to fight his friends. And I thought that was very funny. It's unfortunate that it's Warren again. But there's also president of Warren ha- going through body mutations and mutilation and changes. Hell, I think mm. back to Warren when he was captured by the Morlocks and they like bloodied his wings and almost ripped them off and i was like you eh. kind of used to it at this point so but that's the thing you're
7: absolutely right about that i agree but that's why i was completely unaffected by it either and
2: maybe that's to say that's warren if you're going to talk you're going to tie this into the x-core office warren or say monet or maybe the, the safe choices to do this hyper mutation this hyper aggravated mutation where they look severely different what if mm-hmm. someone like trinary was affected by this What is that look like a trinary i
7: like that so much more that's interesting
2: that we can it's not just the same characters over and over again yes i understand the Mm -hmm. angel has popularity it's easier there's obviously a lot that goes into it um and maybe warren makes sense for the story but like where can we push the bounds of in terms of art and character design of like you have Mm -hmm. this you have a look human looking character what are their powers how do they look look like if they're manifesting this hyper aggravation um and i think Mm -hmm. that could be really cool and something interesting that could be explored here
6: absolutely like i would love to see a a fractured self trinary they work with like you know all different types of technology and whatnot i would love to see like a fractured self or like techno organica like kind of you know mutating itself out like maybe spreading out like a spider web like worldwide web kind of thing like i'd love to see a a non-body horror based person manifest Uh,
2: something that i actually really really enjoyed was the lettering i thought the lettering was super interesting especially when it's like like uh, the, uh, there were like key moments where it's like a character supposed to be fading in and out of consciousness, and like the lettering was like a little bit faded and gray, and I yeah. thought that was such a beautiful touch, adding elements to like put, put us in that immersion of like what this character is going through and trying to see it from their perspective.
5: Yeah, and I'm honestly I'm a fan of the spirit of Varence's lettering bubbles. I know this, this is probably hard to read for some people, but I think it stands out well, the white against like the deep purple with the blue outline and the little flames on it. I love that kind of lettering from like reading '90s comics, so it's nice to see that
6: back. I actually really liked Warlock's design in David's mind. I do not like that design at all. But I mean, he's been a part of Doug and a part of so many other people.
5: That's why I think he has this design is because he feels like a human, right? Well,
6: I think it's that, I think this is more like a representation of in David's mind, in in this utopian space that has been created, he's able to make himself as solid and as put together as he wants to feel.
5: And he seems to want to feel like, you know, like a Doug figure. I don't know. Yeah,
6: exactly. And usually he's he's like so scattered and like all over the place. And it's hard for him to hold himself together in a singular form for a long period of time. This just feels like him not having to constantly struggle with his body. And just this is him, his conscious, how he perceives himself and not having to work at it.
5: I completely think that's what the idea behind the design is. I think it looks Mm -hmm. bad. I think that it looks boring. You know, this is Warlock thinks of himself as one of his friends, like a person like them Mm -hmm. and not like this weird... Techno-organic construct Like in his In his mind He feels like A humanoid person Because he, he's one of them But I think the realization Of the design As a bald Featureless Yellow humanoid Is so boring
6: I disagree I don't think That he thinks of himself As normal I think that There's at least A little bit of him Because he's he's Expressed in the past When Doug is off You know Doing things with Bay And whatnot That he feels disconnected That he He has a lot of feelings But I think he often feels Even more othered Even amongst Mutants. So I think to for him, this is a little bit to help people around him not react to what he looks like or to react to how foreign he is even to them. I think this. I think yeah, you're right. This is a little bit of a hetero heteronormativity. He's he's more like supplicating their minds so that they can listen to the information that he has to give them. And I'm Uh, really hoping. Did he code switch? I think he code switch. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. I think he code switch. Yeah. And I really want to see him progress each time he goes back into david's mind i want to see him progress into being more comfortable of just being himself and evolving yeah i really want to see that i
5: would would love it if he would change his design to be more interesting unique and personal Mm -hmm. to him because right now he looks like a nothing person is the problem Mm
2: -hmm. right yeah I think deep down, this is what Warlock wants to look like. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times, Warlock's characterization—you know—he calls everybody friend. I think he he wants to look like his friends, and this is what deep down Warlock thinks he wants to look like to match what his friends look like. So on that level, I appreciate that that's what we got from this. However, I'm a little more neutral than Steve, but Mm -hmm. I don't fully like this design. It's just the gold version of Proteus, and I don't like Proteus's design. The other version of uh, Silver Surfer. If this one is gold, he's Gold Surfer.
7: He looks like the silver
5: surfer to me he looks like the golden surfer to me it's just
7: and he um, has more i think he has more features than uh, you know he, oh, was, he, was... he doesn't have
2: nearly as big of an ass as silver uh, Surfer. Got the... <laughs> silver <laughs> surfer is usually double caked up and warlock was like no i'm not gonna be we're not doing that today i did not do pilates i did not do squats i yeah. haven't been doing my cardio so no butt for me
5: in a comic where there's a lot of bald Xavier bodies that are naked, like Proteus, Xavier, uh, Legion is just a bald Xavier body that's naked with pants and hair on it, and now we have uh, another one, you know? But
2: like, I think Legion looks like a Dragon Ball Z character, and I, that's what I appreciate that for.
7: Where are those wires even attached to? Like, what <laughs> is that? <laughs> they're, they're not in a shade, they're just floating up in space. Oh my god. The
2: collective unconscious of the space.
7: It's
6: 2022.
7: Do we really have to wear freaking mental? Facility pants? Come on
2: now,
6: seriously. Are, are just he, jeans? He, no, he, he's always wearing prison pants. Oh, I just I, I I don't understand it, it.
2: Prison pants, yeah. I think it's to stick it to his father. His father kind of imprisoned him for a long time. And I think this is his way of reclaiming. Again, Jonah's (laughs) grasping at straws here. I obviously don't know what goes into every design choice should have a specific intention of what you're trying to say about the character. My interpretation as to why he's still wearing those kinds of pants is that Mm -hmm. him kind of reclaiming, kind of being a prisoner of his own mind, a prisoner of how his father views him. There's, I think, a lot of interpretations. It would be nice if he changed out of them, but I'm not going to like harp on him (laughs) This is definitely yeah, at
5: a point where I'm at where I understand the design choices that go into these things where I'm like, all right, there's there's like a reason for this that is like working with the character, but then I'm like the artistic realization of it on the page is unsatisfying. And ultimately it's I'm so
7: unsatisfied. You know,
5: I, I'm reading a visual medium, it should it should look good. You can work a design, you know, I don't know. I did the same thing with Magic's new design which I've decided I hate.
6: Mother righteous. I love her outfit. It's it's sexy, it's gorgeous, it's sleek, it's very business star. It has a boob window but a boob window that you could actually do with functional clothing, and, and also with the bare feet. I'm just like, what in the foot fetish,
5: <laughs> Grr. The bare feet is an interesting touch on this astral form that is like a full suit. I, I think that's right? that's a that's a right? bone.
6: And I'm, I'm I'm not even exactly mad at that. And she has four toes. <laughs>
7: with her outfit so okay I, i'm gonna be honest with you i don't like her <laughs> oh no, and i'm not supposed like,
6: to like her but you know, i like what she's wearing
7: i like right i do too but i like what she's wearing for a very specific reason emma frost wore it in jenna <laughs> uh, <laughs> not it's, it's a little close it's not exact
5: it's,
7: but it's I, close I enough I at. <laughs> it's <laughs> close enough can we talk about banshee yes please Are you, oh, you oh, mean oh i'm I like what banshee, in the I shit refuse i absolutely freaking refuse <laughs> this is one of my favorite characters of all the like i loved gen x so much mm-hmm. so much and then i went from gen x reading a full thing of gen x and then deadly genesis happened and this man has not gotten a break since oh, no. what seriously the f yeah why Who's what the what point is of this
5: character do you think because i i have struggled to understand why banshee is the spirit of variance and almost never does anything is just on page to look really cool once an issue but
2: does he? What is
6: going on? Why is this happening? Oh,
2: I think it's a beautiful character design that I feel I feel bad saying that's Wasted,
6: but it doesn't feel like Banshee. It right. feels like they took Ghost Rider. Banshee and Ghostwriter and mashed them together and yeah. hope we wouldn't notice. Like, Very Jason Aaron of you.
7: Like I literally don't understand why they keep choosing Sean Cassidy to <laughs> abuse. Like this pork and like it's it's funny because I think they do Let's it because up. they don't know what to do with him. As if the man. Mm doesn't have a rich history he was nice. what a, po- a police officer slash government agent he oh, no, has so you're saying been, he deserves this no because he's been he was worn a, as a meat suit he's so much better he was he was a uh, was a horseman of apocalypse okay like can they just leave him alone he has an amazing power set he had he is a good hand-to-hand fighter he is mm-hmm. an educator he, there is so much to draw from with this character and these are the things that keep getting done to him him.
6: yeah why yeah
2: well here's the thing it's all of the Cassidy's if we're going to be honest you look at Black Tom oh. having zero survival instincts walking into his death
6: <laughs> and constantly
2: being killed over an X-Force <laughs> we have Teresa who had to fucking fight off the Morrigan and just barely got done with that and now we have you know Banshee who nothing good. It, honestly oh. the entire Cassidy family is completely cursed I yeah. think
7: that it really does speak to my dislike of writers doing the thing that I hate to mutants where Pixie looks like a Pixie Pixie. ergo a writer decided to make her an actual pixie. Uh Austin turned Nightcrawler and Angel into a literal demon it's and so an angel. Stupid. <laughs> Theresa so Stupid. Yeah, Teresa took the code name Banshee and then became Queen of the Banshees. And mm-hmm. now other Banshee looks like this. Like what is that? What why? Why is this direction if, the direction if, we
6: if go with?
7: If you put a
5: subtle irony to any X-Men character, someday an X-Men writer will come in and be like, "Oh, Oh, did I figure out the subtle irony in this? And as much as I loved this uh-huh. issue and I loved reading it, the process yeah. of reading it, there's a million people and a million things happening in it. So, is there anything we didn't get to that anybody wants to talk about? The Black
7: Knight? Uh, I'm <laughs> happy to see Jackie. Yeah, I'm happy to see Jackie. I'm happy to see Jackie. Also, I didn't know that Nightcrawler and, and EZX were hooking up.
2: I thought it was Weaponist Ven, but that's completely wrong. And that's a completely different character. That's who I thought it was, but that I was like, that doesn't make sense.
7: There was like <laughs> a hot moment that I was like, oh my god, is that Threnody? And then I was like, that's not Threnody. No. Yeah, no, like, it's <laughs> it's
5: throwing,
6: saying she slept with Nightcrawler last night. I was like, it's, it has to yeah. kind of, be. Yeah, yeah. The I'm sorry. Perm, what but... mutant hasn't Nightcrawler dragged his dick through? He's almost as bad, if not worse, than Logan.
2: When you have two down there, I
6: imagine there's a lot more that
2: like he needs to <laughs> He release.
7: does not have two. <laughs>
2: hey I mean, he's I mean, got
6: that tail and it is prehensile i
2: do think if we're gonna do like body counts of x-men i think logan and <laughs> i think logan and kurt compare before they have fun and that's, that's my headcanon
7: when you think mm. about how old logan is that is very impressive for our fuzzy blue elf
6: i, but, mean, I mean our fuzzy blue elf has scored with logan so yes oh. I don't know if <laughs> he I don't absolutely have, has i don't
5: know if my can match wolverine's like nihilistic fucking through the last 200 years of american and canadian history
6: yeah but do you know how many monster fuckers there are in current era
5: (laughs) like
6: wolverine is a monster yes i understand well no he's he's barely a monster like big blue with them thick fingers i am just saying We've seen so many mutants come through and next thing you know, they are just flirting their asses <laughs> off with, with Nightcrawler. Like we had, oh, who was it? The Weaponless? When she came through, like all she was doing was making, yeah, we're going to be doing this later. What the fuck? <laughs> Madam, he has not even flirted with you yet. What are you doing? She's like, I ain't got time for flirting. Let's do this. Like, oh, oh, oh my. Like, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I will call it as I see it. <laughs> I see
7: that under the cast list, Forget Me Not is written there. Have I just forgotten where he was in the story? You don't see him in the story. (laughs) He is just So I'm not not under the effect of his own ability, right? You are. He's mentioned in a scene,
5: I believe, or maybe it was in another book I read. That's the problem with Forget Me Not, right? Like, I remember Forget Me Not appearing in a page where it was like he was present while two other people were talking. And I don't know if it was in a data sheet or if that even was in another issue. That might have been in Marauders. God. Was
7: that in Marauders? You know what? Because
5: I read that this week and it could have been in any of the previous four issues of Marauders, but there was something where it was forget me not was listening in on a conversation while two other people were talking and they were acting like he was not there maybe he wasn't
7: in this issue and that's just the joke size furrier is pulling at us i would i, would I will say that. it's very I'm, funny i'm a thousand percent changing his name to forget me daddy because i am so obsessed with him like he is fine
6: i fr- I freaking lo- now i'm i'm literally going back panel by panel looking for him because i'm just like did i honestly like that'd be hilarious if like you literally only see like part of his face or something Something in like one panel because yeah that's his whole freaking power is nobody fucking remembers him he literally just the moment you don't see him boop, he flips out of existence in your brain i'm yeah. like Forget me not is, as far as I can tell, not in this comic.
7: Like that's just that's like honest to goodness really funny. I mean, really funny. I will say I'm not sure if it's actually a joke for the book anymore because I just realized that both Lost and Juggernaut are also on that page. Oh, but yeah. a, a boy could dream. Oh wait, okay, wait. <laughs> Lost is maybe in this issue
5: in like one panel. I don't. Uh, uh, Lost, Lost
2: is in at least three panels yes lost she's is, the first yes. page and i think the third page reading digitally yeah i'm pretty sure it's
5: supposed to be doesn't look great frankly i don't like seeing lost on the cast page if we're not going to get any progression with the character of lost mm. but mm-hmm, uh, juggernauts here and forget me not i guess it's just the whole team of legionnaires but uh, it's a chance for a funny joke with forget me not i don't know if it is but
6: <laughs> i find it Glad. hilarious <laughs>